Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Welcome in, everybody, to a special edition of Inside Boxing Live. I am your host, Dan Canobio. On this special edition, we're going to look back at the life of marvelous Marvin Hagler, who passed away at age 66 on March 13th, just a few hours before Showtime and DAZN went on the air on a fight night. And I bring up those Showtime and DAZN because two of the guests joining us here on this Remembrance episode addressed Marvin Hagler's death and addressed Marvin Hagler's life. And that was Al Bernstein and Michael Buffer. Our third guest on this show today will also be CompuBox creator Bob Canobio, my father, who was there for a, a large chunk of Marvin Hagler's career behind the scenes. And that's the, the theme of this episode here. Obviously, it's all things Marvin Hagler, but there are three guests, Al Bernstein, Michael Buffer, and Bob Canobio, were there for all those wars during the 80s. We're there behind the scenes. And I think our first guest, Al Bernstein, will, will let you know that, that it was a different time back then when the media and athletes were sort of friends. They hung out, they built a camaraderie, and that shows with what Al Bernstein had to say. That shows, uh, of course, with Michael Buffer and Leslie with Bob Canobio, who was behind the scenes with CompuBox, their ringside for Hagler Hearns, their ringside for Hagler versus uh, Leonard. Uh, something I wanted to do and, and put together because I know a lot of boxing fans fans were shook up when they got the news on March 13th about Marvin Hagler, who was only 66 years old, one of the four kings, a guy that was you just didn't think could ever, this would ever happen to him. He was still healthy, still had all of his faculties. That's something that we'll touch on too as, as well, the fact that he just up and quit after that Leonard fight when he was just 35 years old, when he was still at the top of his game, highest paid athlete in all of sports, not just boxing. Uh, quite the life, quite the career of Marvin Hagler. Let's get into it. Our first guest up is Showtime Sports, Al Bernstein. Let's bring in our next guest here. You know him, familiar, another familiar face of boxing. Been at it for quite a long time now. Does a great job over on Showtime. You've seen him on ESPN. You've seen Al Bernstein legitimately everywhere. If there's a boxing ring, Al Bernstein is holding a mic in front of it, sometimes in the ring as well. Uh, Al, how are you doing today? Uh, it's good to be with you. Um, I'm happy to get a chance to visit with you. This is I love your show. I appreciate it. I love your show too. Uh, Al, you're, you're a podcaster now. Yeah, we're having fun with it. Uh, Al Bernstein Unplugged, and uh, we're having fun with it as a podcast and also mm -hmm. on the TV networks it's on. A uh, bunch of networks, including Fight TV and Fight Network and um uh binge networks and a bunch of others and uh i'm having fun with it you know it's it's it, it's enjoyable to get a chance to visit with all the all the different boxing personalities and uh, occasionally branch out as i did in my last interview with snoop dogg who of course is going to be involved in boxing right snoop is now involved everyone's involved in boxing i feel like that's the, yeah, beauty. the whole world that's the beauty right <laughs> that's the beauty of of being involved with boxing i'm sure over your uh 40 plus years you've met people that have no 
even affiliation with the world of boxing, yet uh, you, you meet them out of fights and they want to be a part of it. That's the thing. Everyone wants to be a part of boxing, and, uh, yeah. and I'm sure you know that very well. But um, I wish we were getting together under better terms, but we're here uh, to talk about uh, marvelous Marvin Hagler, uh, a dear friend of, of yours, uh, a friend of all boxing fans out there. And uh, first off, your your tribute on Showtime um, was very very well done, and under the the circumstances of the fact that, you know, you found out what a few hours beforehand. Yeah, maybe an hour or so before the the show, um, and so it was it was difficult because it was crushing, you know. Um, and of course, the as a broadcast team, we were kind of scrambling to first we had to make sure it would, you know a lot of times when things get start to get reported on social media you don't know 100 mm -hmm. if they're accurate and so we had to wait to make sure we could verify um then finally when we did everybody were kind of scrambled to put together throughout the show some uh you know uh, some tribute material to him and i at the top of the show uh i had an opportunity to say a little bit about him and uh you know it's also hard to compact your feelings about somebody and their their do their eulogy in like 35 seconds or 40 <laughs> seconds so um that that's a challenge but uh i'm i'm happy it came off okay and uh you know and it's uh you know just a, a devastating blow to not only to boxing fans around the world but certainly to those of us that knew him you're very close you were very close with with marvin correct yeah i i i I was, you know, it, we, I knew him very well during all the time we I was covering him. I broadcast a lot of Marvin Hagler fights. And back in the 80s, you know, things were a little different. You interacted with the boxers in a slightly different way, I think, than now. Mm -hmm. You know, it was a more personal way. You saw them more in social settings, um, you know. And, and then afterwards, I... You know, I was around Marvin always a couple of times, two, three times a year, even though he was living in Italy and we kept in communication on a regular basis. And um, and, it, you know, so it, and he, he's one of those people that uh, when you see him, you feel like you just picked up with him, you know, like three weeks ago. That's some people are like that. Right. You know, yeah. you, you just feel that you, you didn't have a lag in time in communication, and that was the way he was. No, it's funny because you guys are similar similar age, so when you were breaking in, and I think yeah. Hagler Hearns, you said, I read that you were 34 years old, uh, right. you know, right around the same age as Marvin. So there's there's a bond there because, you know, just look at today. Yeah, you're right. Just look so, at today. I feel like... Um, you know, Tifimo Lopez, not that we're the same age, but there are some fighters that I've become friendly with. So right. It happens because you're in the same circles, you're at the same fights, you, you all share a common uh, love uh, of boxing. But what was it like, you know, being a friendly with Marvin? I know we, we all know the stuff in the ring, we'll get to that, but just him as a person, is there something that you can share with us? Yeah, I what I like about Marvin is, and I said it in the uh, when I was doing the, the Showtime comments, that the term straight shooter was invented for him. And so... <laughs> You know, he had it in all his business dealings, which we'll talk about in a moment, uh, with uh, all the people he dealt with in a business way. But he was the same way as somebody you knew. He was going to just tell you what was on his mind. Uh, and and you could go to the bank on that that was a genuine statement. It wasn't some 
some Machiavellian or nefarious reason for him to be telling you that. And so it was always good to communicate with them because you knew you were getting honesty. And I found them to be ingratiating, you know, the, the, the fearsome image of him from inside the ring, which mm-hmm. was certainly there, was absolutely not Marvin Hagler uh, outside the ring. He was a gregarious, fun-loving guy uh, who, uh, I mean, the last time I saw him, perfect example, uh, we were at the Nevada Boxing Hall of Fame dinner, and he, it was an event the night before, and he sat at the table with me, and my sister, who manages me, was there, and she was sitting next to him and she talked to him more than I did even that <laughs> night. And at one point he taps me on the, uh, the shoulder and he says to me, you know, he said, I love your sister. He said, I think she knows more about boxing than you do. <laughs> that's so great. That's so great. So, that's the kind of guy he was. He, you know, just a delightful man. Did you find it interesting that the fact that from what this is from what I read, obviously it's a lot before my time, but I've been able to, you know, listen to stories from my father or from, from guys like you yeah. being around the sport for so long and just hearing secondhand stories. Do you ever find it interesting that a guy that probably, you know, he had a little bit of a mistrust with the media, uh, didn't really always love doing interviews, despite the fact yes. that he always gave great interviews, whether it was Johnny Carson, David Letterman, you know, your, pros, your pre-fight interview for the Hearns thing. Do you, do you find it interesting that he went off to Italy and became like a movie star? Yeah, you know, you're right about that. That's an interesting uh, uh, insight. He didn't love doing interviews, and yet I don't think he had bad relations with the press uh, by any stretch. You know, I think uh, he, if you talk to most press people that covered him, they're not going to say, oh, he was hard to cover, he was difficult, and yet he just didn't, the process wasn't something that he loved. (laughs) I don't think also... He loved being, uh, having his life be in the spotlight all the time. It wasn't that he didn't like, I mean, anybody that's going to be a, a, a world-class athlete and um, uh, as he was, you, you want some kind of attention because it's good for your career. Yeah. But as a human being, he didn't crave that spotlight. And there's a difference, right? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and that's why it wasn't surprising he could go off to Italy where he enjoyed being and he had a love affair with that country. And yeah, do movies, some movies, and that was fine. So that still gained him attention. But he didn't need to be in the spotlight uh, the way he was. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why he never came back. Yeah. Um, because he didn't crave that. Yeah, we spoke about this with Michael Buffer, who's a part of this this special that we're putting together. And I said to him, and I'm sure you agree with this, the fact that we never saw him get beat up. He knew when to say goodbye and it added to his uh, mystique. Yeah, he look, he the fact is he was at least three or four or five years older at that point than was being reported. Right. So uh, he you know, he was at a point in his career where I think he realized it made sense to leave the sport. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and, you know, he had a bad taste in his mouth from feeling like he pro- he feels like he probably won the Leonard fight yeah. and didn't get credit for it and didn't feel the need to he felt in his mind that he did enough to win. Uh, and so he wasn't anxious for a redo and uh, didn't feel like he needed to continue. That's crazy because everyone comes back. I mean, Floyd Mayweather had about everyone 30, 30 yes. retirements. Uh, Conor McGregor, Michael Jordan retired three times. I mean, yes. everyone comes back, but he didn't. And that to me, uh, you know, 
following his career secondhand after it was it was over. That was the coolest part because going being around fights and being around uh, growing up in the game, it's like you saw a lot of guys come and go at fights, but you like never saw Hagler because he didn't really come around a lot. But when you did see him, and when he did make an appearance, it was extra special. Absolutely, that's exactly right. Uh, and uh, and you're right about that. Every athlete, just about, and every entertainer who says they're going to retire, they all end up continuing or coming back or, or doing something. Almost all. I mean, Lennox Lewis might be yep. an example. Uh, and and though he's still young enough to do it, I think Andre Ward might be another example of mm -hmm. that of, of somebody that steps away from the sport and doesn't come back. But but yeah, uh, and and Hagler just didn't. Uh, you know, didn't feel the need to do that. Yeah. Um, speaking of just run-ins with them, I mean, I, I I told you this when we talked on the phone yesterday. I was at the Mystic Hilton, which was a stop on the Friday night fight circuit. We loved it as kids because it was just like the coolest hotel. They had so much going on there. And my dad would take me to, to Friday night fights and my brothers. And we had gotten wind that Marvin was there. And he wasn't there. This, this is like the part that probably makes a lot of sense is he wasn't there for the fight. He just happened to be in Mystic, Connecticut for some odd reason. But he got swarmed in the in the lobby because you'd never seen him, never heard of him. This was probably 10 years uh, after the, the Leonard fight. And he couldn't have been any more gracious. You know, I, I made it a point to talk to him and, you know, everyone was wanted pictures and he was that's just what i'm hearing too is which really makes me happy and i think a lot of fans will agree is that you know the public interactions people had with him were were very good he, he might have come off as this bruiser inside the ring and this guy to take no prisoners but like you just said he was such a gentleman outside of it and he, a lot of fans are pouring in with their recollections on twitter that you know he was such a good guy when they did meet him at an event yeah, his interactions with the public were I've, like you. I was around. I mean, I was around many of them, mm -hmm. and uh, and I can't remember one that wasn't uh, that wasn't good. You know, if it was not going to be good, it certainly wasn't something that came from him. We all know that sometimes everyone yeah. that's in the spotlight in life, from time to time, somebody approaches you in a sideways way. Um, that's just going to happen, no matter who you are. But for the most part, they don't. But for him, unless somebody did that, his interaction with them was going to be was going to be as nice as possible. Let's go to 1985. Hagler Hearns, you're on the call for the fight, and I had read something last night which I thought was just really cool. The fact that when you think of Marvin Hagler, he was like the prototypical looking boxer, the the bald head, the muscles, just looked like a fighter. And so many iconic moments of his career are now like etched in stone. And one of those was the, the war hat, the red hat. And you interviewed him before the fight. And like there was this talk like we just spoke about the fact that he's not really in a good mood or he doesn't want to do a lot of pre-fight interviews. But you were pretty confident that he would be able to put off forth a good interview because of the relationship you have just take us to that pre-fight interview and the fact that when he pointed up to the hat the war hat did you think that even like you know 20 30 years from now it, it would be such a, a indelible moment yeah not, well it felt a little bit like it you know and i remember when that interview was gonna happen some people were wondering would he come here somebody said oh he's i hear he's not in a good mood i said i'm telling you he's gonna be here and we're gonna have a fine interview and i think we did um and and I felt it. I knew that, you know, that that was that that was going to be the case. And yeah, the hat <laughs> lent itself to that. And uh, 
and I, you know, he, that to me, he kind of created an interesting iconic moment with that. And mm -hmm. he did that a lot in his career. You know, people don't think of him as a showman and he wasn't a showman exactly, but he was aware of important moments. And he had a style about him that was, I think, uh, you know, lent to or added to the drama of his fights. And that was a perfect example. Now the fight happens, and, and from what I hear, it was a decent fight, right? Some some things happened in that first round that were no. I'm just kidding. I'm underselling it. I'm one of the best middleweight fights of all time. Uh, it happens, and you're in the ring afterwards. I know you called the fight as well. I want to go to the post fight. Look like a chaotic scene inside of the ring after the fight. Take us through that moment. Uh, you're early on in your broadcast career, and yet also I want to give you even more credit. There's a thing now on Twitter called freezing cold takes, where if you if you make a terrible take, they they try to they try to uh, expose you. But the fact that you said uh, I think we just witnessed the best round in middleweight history. That right there is a a take that stood the test of time, Al. Yeah, you know, and I'm not, there's the funny thing, and you know me, and most people that um, that have seen me broadcast for 40 years, I'm usually not given to make those kind of statements. I'm not, it's not my style as a broadcaster. It doesn't roll off my tongue. It came out of me in an organic way that I almost couldn't control and ended up, you know, being something that people are quoting now and that, that resonated with people. So... Um, and yeah, that experience, I don't want to, it's not about me. It's about him, but, <laughs> but you, you touched on, um, for me, I was five years into my broadcasting career and, uh, all of a sudden I'm ringside and I had done the Hagler Duran fight pay-per-view, which was pretty extraordinary, but to, to be doing this fight, it was me and Al Michaels and Kurt Gowdy. So Jeez. I, you know, I was on a broadcast team that was, you know, I was like in awe of, of working with those men. And here we are in this amazing moment. And then I'm thrust into the post fight, as you point out, and the chaotic atmosphere in the ring. And I was keenly aware, I have to tell you, um, you know, a lot of times you're not keenly aware of the moment and how it's, uh, how it's, you think the impact's going to happen and you're not really supposed to be because you're concentrating on your job mm -hmm. but i had you could not be a part of that uh and not feel that this was something that was going to be you know looked at for years and years and years and decades to come and uh and it, it, it placed a little extra pressure on you to make sure you didn't come up the works you know um but it was uh it was extraordinary and uh uh, and you, you you knew that his thoughts after that fight would be ones that people would chronicle for years. Yeah. A ton of people are flocking to YouTube uh, this week to watch the fight, and that's probably the fight that he'll be always be remembered for. Um, is that war with with uh, Tommy Hearns and and just being in the ring? There's nothing like you can attest to this. I've done a, a few. I can't even compare myself to what you've been a part of, but just being in the ring. After a fight, there's so much adrenaline in there because the 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 winning is just like contagious. The energy that the fighter gives off is is contagious in there, and I could just imagine what you were what you were what was going through your mind being in, in that ring at that very moment. Yeah, it, it, you're right. There and, and you know, there's always that in, after a fight, 
and then you can multiply that by five or six times for this moment uh, when you know there was when everyone knew you know everybody standing there the participants everybody that was involved you knew this was extraordinary i mean it you know you knew that you were experiencing an extraordinary moment and uh um and it did turn out to be exactly that. How about uh, everyone flocks to those two fights? And when it comes to Hagler's career, uh, you know the the Tommy Hearns fight and the Ray Leonard fight, which happened in 1987. Is there another fight on there that fans should know about? Is there a, a, another moment in covering oh, them? In yeah, your, yeah. Like I'm sure you have some. Please share. Yeah, I think a lot of them because. You know what the, the, the well there's there's one obvious one and that is this fight with uh, John Mugabe, mm -hmm. which is a lost gem. Uh, you know that was the fight that was ironically the fight in which Ray Leonard looked at it and said, "I should try. Yeah. I might be able to try Marvin Hagler," because mm -hmm. um, there Mugabe, John Mugabe, who fought the fight of his life that night, fought the best fight he's ever fought. Uh, unfortunately, that fight took so much out of him, he was never able to achieve that again. But he was a monster, you know, uh, especially at 154, but he was moving up to 160. But uh, John Mugabe fought the fight of his life. Marvin Hagler responded in kind. And again, this is an older uh, Marvin Hagler facing this young lion who's a monstrous puncher. They produced rounds in that fight that are spectacular. Yeah. And uh, that anybody wanting to see the heart and ability of Marvin Hagler should look at that fight. And then the other point I would make is those fights where he was defending his, his middleweight title against, for instance, Juan Domingo Roldan, who was a rough customer, rough customer, uh, and scored the only official knockdown of Hagler, but it wasn't really a knockdown. It was more of a push, but they, they called it a knockdown. Um, that fight demonstrates the the ability he has, and then he was able to take good fighters like uh, uh, like Hamshow and Obulmeheus and and Sibson and these good middleweights that were around during his time, and he made them look completely ordinary. And that was part of what you know he fought every guy that he could fight that was around in the middleweight division. And here's the other thing, and fans now you know. Uh, uh, think about it. He didn't jump up and down in weights. That's you know? yeah, that's admirable. Yeah. So they had the world had to come to him, and uh, so could there have been a match with for, that Marvin Hagler could have made with some other 154 pounders down at 154 or up at 168? Maybe. Yeah. But at the end of the day, Duran came up to face him at middleweight. Uh, Mugabe came up from 154 to face him, and the rest of them were middleweights except for for Ray Leonard. Yeah, that's it's he that just shows you that it, it, he just did his career his way. You know, I'm staying at 160. I'm a middleweight. I'm retiring. I'm not coming back. This is how it's going to be done, man. Uh, you know, there are a lot of comparables well, in one to of his fights. I'm pretty sure he he did walk in. His walk in music was uh, Frank Sinatra. My way, the song my way. I remember one of them. I don't remember which fight it was, but wow. he uses a walk in. Well, didn't um, uh, Hopkins did that as well? Yeah, Hopkins also, yeah. Another legendary middleweight. And the, the the middleweight division is one that has, like, everyone goes to the heavies or everyone goes to the uh, welterweights as two glamour divisions in, in, in boxing. But I feel like Hagler put it on the map. And it, it's is it safe to say he's the, the greatest middleweight? Do you, what do you have him? 
Well, he could be, yeah. I mean, I think there's a strong case to be made for that. Uh, I believe he would have beaten Carlos Manzón had they fought. Um, uh, that's just my opinion. Uh, I believe that he and Sugar Ray Robinson would have been a fantastic fight. Now, Ray Robinson was a better welterweight than a middleweight, but he was a spectacular middleweight. Uh, that would be the fight of the century, in my opinion. Uh, you know, that would be extraordinary. But I think you can make a strong case for Ivan Hagler being the best uh, best middleweight of all time. Al, do you take time to, I ask this to all the legendary guests that I have on, do you take time to kind of take a look back at, at your career and the things that you've been able to see and the friendships you've made and just being part of boxing for 40 years, man. I've been in it for a couple of years and I'm already like, man, this sport drives me crazy sometimes. But being in it for such a long time, have you taken any time? Like when, when you hear news like this, does it, does it make you reflect a little more? Oh, it may, yeah, 100%. That's a very good question. It does make you reflective because your, your mind naturally wanders back. You know, I'm very uh, centered on the present mm -hmm. and, always, and mostly have been uh, in, in my career and even the way I call fights, I don't bring a lot of past moments into it. Once in a while I will, but I'm not, I'm not, I don't lean on that. And the way I function mostly as a broadcaster, I do often go back and tell stories from the past because people want to hear them, yeah. but I'm not centered there. And, but when you, when you have a moment like this, it forces you to go back and start remembering things. And I just interviewed Larry Holmes for my, for my show. And that made me do it. You know, uh, I mean, we, we all, you know, your dad, I, I know, I'm sure feels this way. We all look back at the eighties, especially as a magical decade in boxing. Now yeah. I know that people always, things get built up because of memory. And oftentimes people remember things in a grander way than they, than they might've been. But I think the the um, uh, the one exception to that rule is anybody remembering the 1980s in boxing. It was extraordinary. And I once had breakfast with Gil Clancy, the great manager, trainer, broadcaster, who of course had had seen all the other decades or many of most many of them before. And I said, "Tell me," I said, "I'm new to this. This was like in the mid 80s." I said, it feels like what we're, we're experiencing now is amazing. <laughs> I said, is that true? Does it, how does it feel compared to all the other decades? And he looked at me and he said, this is special. He said, I don't even know if we've seen the like of this before. Uh, and he probably could have said, we may not see it's like again. Um, and it certainly was the, one of the best times in the sport of boxing. Great place to end. Um, that's the beauty of, of boxing. The history is so deep, and uh, you're part of history. You're part of boxing history, and it comes full circle now because I get to you t get to tell your stories to me and, and the younger generation, and then I'll one day get to tell them to another one. So that's the beauty of boxing to me. And uh, yeah, it's a sad thing that Marvin Hagler passed away, but we get to you know you have great memories. You know, my father has great memories. Michael Buffer. Yeah, that's. I agree with you. That's the, the the nice thing is that you can look back and 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 have fond memories of of him and what he did both inside and outside the ring. And that's what sustains people. That's what will sustain his wife in this difficult time and his family and uh, all the people that knew him so well. Uh, and I I I there not every death of people affectly or profoundly affects others 
the way that this one is doing right now, I can tell you that. Yeah, we're seeing it happen right right in front of our eyes. Al, I could talk to you all day. Uh, I feel smarter when I talk boxing with you. Uh, you're very nice. <laughs> well, you're doing a great job, and you are, you are uh, in the next wave of folks that are uh, chronicling the sport of boxing for people, and you're doing it on a different medium, uh, one that is now mm -hmm. the, the part of the norm. And, uh, it, you know, while boxing and all sports rely on their past, they also are evolving and they look to the future. And that's what you guys are doing. Wow. Really, really appreciate that, Al. Thank you so much, Al Bernstein. You'll see him uh, on a weekly basis over on, on Showtime Boxing. Thanks, Al. Take care. Special thanks to Al, and that, that's just incredible. I mean, Al Bernstein is a walking boxing encyclopedia. Being just 34 years old and only five years into your broadcast career, and you're calling Hagler versus Hearns, just unreal stuff from Al and a really great uh, remembrance of Marvin Hagler. So I appreciate Al Bernstein for coming on, one of the nicest guys in all of boxing. All right, coming up next, Michael Buffer, who uh, didn't exactly cross paths with Hagler in the ring. He said he only announced one of his fights, but had a lot of moments with him over the years, whether it's at the International Boxing Hall of Fame, the Nevada Boxing Hall of Fame, just run-ins. Michael Buffer knows literally everyone in the sport of boxing, so his stories are welcome. So here's Michael Buffer on his thoughts on Marvin Hagler. First of all, you did a phenomenal job with the 10 Bell Salute, you know, emotional, and it's not an easy thing to do, especially when you have a personal friendship like you had with Marvin Hagler. So, yeah. uh, you know, phenomenal job uh, with that. And I, I think the 10 Bell Salute is just, just such a great time-honored tradition uh, in boxing. But going back to, to your friendship with Marvin Hagler and your time with Hagler, what stands out to you the most? And if you have any stories or, or memories or just anything you'd like to say about um, the fabulous life of uh, marvelous Marvin Hagler? One of the things that, that stands out to me, besides this, those great moments in the ring, and, and, and I, was, uh, I was blessed to, to get to introduce him once uh, in his career because I was more or less starting out as he it was wrapping up his career, mm -hmm. uh, was in 1984 when he, uh, at Madison Square Garden when he fought uh, Mustafa Hamshow in their second fight, and uh, I think he stopped him in the third round. Just a masterpiece of performance, and I used to love the way he would go from the orthodox to, uh, you know, uh, lefty, mm -hmm. and just, wow, just and with power in both hands. Uh, I remember watching his one-round KO of uh, Caveman Lee, <laughs> which was uh, with a jab. <laughs> he knocked him out in the yeah. very first round, on uh, probably on ABC Wide World of Sports. Just, uh, just a great fighter. But one thing that always stands out in my mind is that after he moved to Italy and was making movies there, when he would come back and uh, if if I ran into him within the first couple of weeks, uh, he had an Italian accent, <laughs> and he and 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 he would be like, "Hey, Michael, how you doing?" And he would talk <laughs> like this, you know. And then, if it was maybe a month after he'd been home. There was a bit of a Brockton accent, and then if you connected with a few buddies from Newark, New Jersey, it was like a North Jersey accent. So, you know, he, he would. Uh, but you know, I, the same thing happens with me. If I talk to my uh, my sons, and they're uh, back in uh, the Philadelphia area, mm -hmm. and uh, all of a sudden we start saying the word coffee, and uh, you know, yeah, the old accent comes back. But, That's crazy. That's, uh, that's I, like I, me in New York. Yeah. 
Now, for a friend of mine just actually sent me a text uh, this morning saying, do you remember the time that we ran into Hagler in L.A. Uh, back around 95? And he, he was talking like an Italian, uh, you know, with, with his hand. I said, oh, yeah. But uh, that, that was always a great moment. Because you know, he was married. Kay is Italian. Yeah. His wife. And uh, and he was uh, making movies in Italy and, and never looked back. He walked away and, and never looked back. And from what I understand, when uh, Bob Arum uh, approached him with the possibility of a rematch, it was already uh, a year or two later, and uh, with Sugar Ray, and he, he just said... Uh, he probably said it with an Italian, hey, tell Ray to get alive. <laughs> Forget about it. But, yeah. yeah. You know, that's that's the thing about Marvin Hagler is obviously he's so unique in, in all the ways that you spoke about in the ring. You know, his style of fighting, how he had to get to the top. No, not an easy way, a ride to the top, you know, really earning it. <laughs> but the fact that how he went out is so admirable because you've seen this, Michael, like these guys that hold on for too long. Like you never want to see yeah. your hero get beat up like you never want to see Muhammad Ali take a beating in the ring and that's happened and it's happened to a lot of fighters because they have a tough time knowing when to say goodbye I think that just added to the allure and I think that added to the mystique of Marvin Hagler is the fact that he said listen I'm done with boxing because of this bad decision I'm out I'm leaving and then when the rare times that you did see him you know if he showed up at the International Boxing Hall of Fame or he showed up at the Nevada Hall of Fame, it meant something. It really meant, like, to see him and get a picture with him or just to talk to him. It was just a, a rare sighting of seeing him meant so much more. Yeah, it really did. He uh, uh, he wasn't happy with that decision, and he said, uh, okay, that's it. He was the highest-paid athlete in the world in 1987, so he walked away with uh, a lot of taxable money in his pocket, and, uh, and he lived happily ever after. It's just... It was so it was so difficult Saturday to wrap my head around the fact that that at sixty six he was gone and um, ironically that's I, uh, Alan Minter mm-hmm. who he beat to win the title in uh, London uh, passed away just four or five months ago too and uh, Leon Spinks uh, you know just a few months ago yeah. uh, around the same age just just hard to, to get a grip on it guy I you know I I knew as the years went by that um, you know there were there were older fighters that uh, it was going to happen where I'd have to say a 10 count you mm-hmm. know Max Schmeling Jack Dempsey uh, you know Sugar Ray Robinson uh, who passed away back in the 80s and um, you never never think that somebody who's younger than me is and i'm gonna to have to get up there and 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 you know have to announce that uh, 10 bell uh, memorial count and uh, uh that was one of the really tough ones because it was so sudden you know usually there's a day or two to prepare and you you've uh, gone through a, a little bit of grief and uh, and this one here it was yeah uh, really hard not to get choked up uh, Special thanks to Michael Buffer. I love that story about Marvin Hagler with the different accents. That was the coolest part about Hagler to me, the fact that he just moved to Italy and started making movies, had all different accents, kind of a renaissance man. Uh, coming up next is my father, Bob Canobio, creator of CompuBox, 
And uh, Marvin Hagler's career has a special meaning to us at CompuBox because Hagler versus Hearns was just the third fight in the history of our company. It helped put our company on the map. Uh, Marvin Hagler went on the Johnny Carson show the week after he defeated uh, uh, Tommy Hearns, and, and Johnny Carson actually brought up the punch stats. So it has a special meaning to us at CompuBox. I know it has a special meaning uh, his life, Marvin Hagler, uh, to my dad, uh, Bob Kenobi, who spent uh, many memorable nights in Las Vegas, Atlantic City, all over the country during the 80s with Marvin Hagler and the Four Kings. I think you enjoy this. Here he is, creator of CompuBox, Bob Kenobio. All right, it's time to bring in a very special guest, very near and dear to my heart, not just because he is my dad, also because he's my boss, all rolled into one, the creator of CompuBox, Mr. Bob Kenobio, a guy that was around for it all, probably has seen every punch thrown and landed since 1985, has seen a lot of marvelous Marvin Hagler's career, and someone that I wanted to catch up with on this special Marvin Hagler uh, remembrance episode, uh, Bob. I'm going to call you Bob, all right? So how you doing? That's okay, Daniel. You can call me Bob. I'm <laughs> your boss. I think I work for you nowadays. Did but... I say uh, that, that I mess it up uh it's you're all my good boss. you're my boss. it's all good daniel yes you, you signed the checks um yeah so <laughs> we're here to talk about Mar uh, marvelous marvin Hagler. uh we spoke with with al bernstein we spoke with michael buffer two of your longtime friends and you know i've just asked them what what's like when the first thing you hear from about marvin Hagler is what well when i think of marvin Hagler, it's like synonymous with the birth of CompuBox. um I mean, the third fight we ever did was was Hagler Hearns at Caesar's Palace. Um, everybody knows how great a fight that was. It was something Caesar's Palace. When I was younger, watching fights uh, from the pavilion, I always wanted to get to Caesar's for a big fight. It was one of my goals, one of my dreams. And uh, so, when we got HBO as a as a client. Um, we looked at the schedule and we saw Hagler Hearns, <laughs> April 7th, and, uh, you know, that was our ticket to Vegas, ticket to the big fight. And, you know, little did we know it was going to be, it turned out to be people talking about as one of the, well, the greatest first round ever, but maybe the greatest middleweight, uh, title fight ever. So when I think of Marvin, I think of the. You know the 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 birth, the origin of of, of CompuBox. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I, I stole your uh, your magazine right here. Ko magazine hangs in my in my kitchen now. It looks good. That, that's Does look good. good. I think pops. That that's that, they need to go back to that yellow and red. Something about yellow and red. There's a reason why McDonald's is also yellow and red because it just screams. That's just a classic photo right there. Classic fight poster. And yeah, you brought up like. Obviously, Marvin Hagler was before my time, um, but I was able to hear about, uh, learn about him from you, uh, guys being around guys like Al Bernstein and, and Buffer, mostly you, just hearing your stories and like Hagler, the fact that you were at Hagler Hearns, like that's like goes down in like history. That's like a night that doesn't even feel like even really happened because it's so like the mystique, so much mystique around it, but. The fact that it put CompuBox on the map because of all the stats in the first round that you'll get to, but also because of Johnny Carson, right? Well, yeah. After the fight, um, Hagler threw in the first round, he threw like something like 90 punches 
and they were all power punches. I, I was counting Hagler. Uh, Logan had Hearns. And I remember the first round ended, the place is going crazy. I'm not literally, people were jumping in, in, in their, out of their seats. I look down and I see the punches thrown and it's all power punches, no, <laughs> no jabs. And I remember relaying it to the truck. My buddy, Mike Whalen was um, doing the graphics at the time. And Mike Sheehan, who was also now the very high up the ladder at NBC, mm-hmm. um, I'm like, you got to get this stat in. It's it's unbelievable. Hagler threw 85 punches in the first round. It was 82, actually. And no jabs. We, we got to get this stat in. So um, at first I said, oh, man, did I, I hope I hit the right key. But no, it was obviously that kind of round looking back. I don't go back and look over many fights, watch them again. But this one, because it was such a spectacle. Um, I went back and watched, but yeah. So Marvin goes on Johnny Carson a week later and Johnny's like, Marvin, you were like all business in that first round. He threw like 90 punches and no jabs. And Marvin was like, yeah, you know, I want, I came out, it was war. You know, I wanted to hurt him. And, um, and that's what I, you know, I, I accomplished what I was looking to do. So again, that, that put, CompuBox on the map as well. The fact that here we are, um, three fights into our existence, and you're talking about CompuBox on Johnny Carson, who was like the king of television, king of late night at the time. So I mean, when that when that happened, I'm like, where do we go from here, man? Like, well, the good thing is that there's a lot to go from there. I mean, 1985 was right in the swing of it. Like Tyson was just coming up, but and I know how much you love Johnny Carson, so that must have been the only be- uh, thing he could have just added to it is if he if Johnny said courtesy of CompuBox. Come on. I know he. I'm a little disappointed in Johnny, but that's okay. We the, the point was well taken. I'm sure everyone eventually would know where those numbers were coming from. Well, the thing about it as well is something I tweeted out um, after I got the news was Top Rank posted the first round again, and I went into the database and found all the, the punch stats. And a lot of the numbers are just absurd, and there's still a record today, right? 95 combined power punches is still a, a record in the middleweight division, correct? Yeah, the 95, they, 95 power shots in the first round. Combined, that's absurd. Combined was crazy i mean because tommy hearns was the boxer uh, he liked to jab and move uh, i'm sure that's what his game plan was going in but marvin was on him like like white on rice man and tommy had no choice but to but to rumble in that first round mm-hmm. um so he had to throw he had to keep try to keep marvin off him and in doing so ended up throwing um you know, Tommy threw, Tommy actually threw 61 power punches in that first round, landed 45. So uncharacteristics of Tommy, but he, he had no choice but to engage Marvin yeah. because Marvin was looking to take him out. Fight fire with fire. Um, exactly. You were only 30 years old at that time. And, and Al Bernstein, who we just uh, spoke with um, on this show, was 34. So the fact that it's like two young guys, you know, in 
in Las Vegas for that type of fight, I mean, what was like the, the aura? I mean, what was it like heading into that fight? Like um, just Marvin Hagler at that point was like a star. Well, we knew the buildup. We knew the buildup was from the buildup. We could tell it was going to be a special night. Um, the fight was actually on a Monday night, if I remember correctly. So we got into Vegas early. We got in like Friday to, um, to get, you know, to get acclimated and to check out the weigh-in and, and all the other festivities. And um, the place to be back in those days was the Caesars pool, mm. which was outside the, uh, you know, the venue. And we'd go there and we'd hang. That's where the press was. And a lot of the public, obviously, people who were going to the fight. And you could just sense from the buzz, this was on, in the casinos too, on Saturday for a Monday fight that the, it was incredible, the, the, the anticipation. Um, and oftentimes we know in boxing, it, it doesn't always lead, the anticipation doesn't always play out in the fight itself, but you know, this, this played out and you could just sense that it was gonna be, um, it was gonna be a special night and, and, and it was. All right, two All years, right. two years later, um, Sugar Ray Leonard versus Marvin Hagler fight you were also there for and a fight that you were very much heavily involved with. I don't know if a lot of people know this, but back then it doesn't really happen so much uh, today is where, you know, fighters would hire CompuBox to kind of help them draw out a, a game plan. And well, just take us through the, the beginning parts of that, the, how the, the, how that fight was set up and the fact that you were with Ray, he was working at HBO as a broadcaster you know, we sit next to the broadcasters at fights. So, you know, you're, we're part of the crew. And and Ray at that point was on the shelf. Hagler just fought Mugabe. Leonard took a look at him, right? Take us through that. Well, the Hagler Mugabe was this, was another, it uh, was sandwiched in between um, the Hearns fight and the Leonard fight. And that was the fight that um, convinced Ray that he could, he could hang with Marvin because Marvin showed signs uh, he slowed down a bit in that fight, but I feel like Al said earlier that Mugabe just fought the fight of his life in that fight. Um, and I'm not so sure Marvin was really into that fight. Marvin wanted to retire after the uh, Hearns fight, mm -hmm. but he didn't. And he, you know, he went on, but um, that was in a great fight and a tough fight for Marvin. Took a lot out of him. Ray sitting ringside. Um, after the fight, we crossed paths, and Ray's like, I got him. I'm like, what? He goes, I can beat him. I'm like, okay, it's Marvin. He goes, I know everyone thinks I'm crazy, but I can beat him. One thing led to another, and I remember talking to uh, Ray's uh, right-hand man was Ollie Dunlop, who traveled everywhere with Ray. And I told Ollie, if Ray's serious about fighting Marvin, we have all Marvin's fights in our database and we could do up a work up a, a scouting report. Of course, from my recollection, from what I could see outside of the Hearns fight, Marvin was a pretty slow starter. He normally started slow and then gradually built up. And one thing led to another. We did the study on, on Marvin and we saw that the first four rounds, he starts slow. Well, for him, slow in the fifties. And then he would slow, his punch output would increase over the course of the next eight rounds. So we put that scouting report together and we actually went to Ray's training camp in January of 87 in Maryland, Palmer Park, Maryland. 
We charted some of his sparring sessions. He didn't look great. He looked okay. It's hard to tell from sparring, but he looked okay. I mean, I wasn't sold that he was, you know, gonna gonna beat Marvin, but we did put that scouting report together, suggested that Ray come out fast because Marvin has a tendency to start slow outside of the Hearns fight. And sure enough, as it played out, Marvin comes out um, in an orthodox stance in the, in the first couple rounds and Ray Leonard comes out and um, sweeps the first four rounds on the, on the judges' scorecards, which ultimately got him the decision. So but didn't he also go, didn't he also end, he had the flurries at the end. So he started fast and would end fast. Yeah, that was an old Ali trick that Ray, uh, Ray copied, he, especially at the end of the round. Because if you listen to that fight, you can hear Ali Dunlop in the corner, 30 seconds, 30 mm -hmm. seconds. And that's when Ray would, would flurry and, you know, try to steal rounds. But um yeah, Ray, it worked. Everything came together for him that night. But we were very proud of the fact that we were able to put together that scouting report on Marvin and that it, it you know, it, 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 it bared, it, it helped Ray. I mean, it, it really did. It helped him prepare and it played out exactly the way we had, we predicted. So I think that gave a lot of credibility to the stats as well, mm -hmm. you know, that it wasn't just a live uh a live service we also could do more with the data like to put together scouting reports which we do now we provide as you know we provide all the pre-fight punch stats and and comparisons for fighters so yeah it started at a at a, at a way back when and one of the biggest fights ever so that's something that we're very proud of and will stay you know stay with us forever how about the story about um Sometimes you tell me stories about what happens behind the scenes. Like it's something that happens today too, to a lesser degree. When you hang out at fights enough, you, you become friendly with the fighters. You find yourself out. Uh, you find yourself, you know, in social situations on the road. There was an encounter that you have to tell us and everyone listening about when uh, you saw Ray ha uh, Leonard and Marvin Hagler in a bathroom. Take us through, <laughs> please. Yeah, it was at a club in Vegas. We were we were all out um shaking a leg a little bit and um i was in the bathroom you know getting ready leaving the bathroom all of a sudden i see ray leonard comes in the bathroom I'm like okay and then behind him is marvin hackler oh man so now i'm at the sink washing trying my hands and i'm like i'm not going anywhere marvin hackler and ray leonard are in this freaking bathroom together and Marvin was like, well, you know, in a good mood. He's like, hey, Ray, how you doing, man? Everything good? And Ray, and Marvin, uh, Ray is like, hey, Marvin, I'm not, I'm not here to make friends. You know, I'm not, I'm not here. And he just walks out of the, walks out of the bathroom. So to me, that was the beginning of the, the head games that, you know, that Ray Leonard succeeded in, um, in putting on Marvin. He just, you know, was just playing with Marvin and, uh, you know, it actually bared out in the fight when Marvin came out and uh, boxed when he should have attacked Ray in that first round. But it was all part of Ray's M.O. to, to get inside the head of Marvin and uh, the late Marvin, you know, uh, I don't mean to disparage him in any way, but, you know, it is what it is. And that's, you know, something that went down uh, way, you know, way back in the day. That's wild. That's a story right there. And that's true. I mean, you, so after the fight. Hagler, speaking of them dancing, 
Remember after the fight, that's one thing that always stuck out when the legendary knights and, and was how Hagler was dancing in the ring after the fight. Very uncharacteristic of him. Like that's not something he ever did. No, it was all business. Right. I honestly think that he, you know, he knows that he, he, he got right. You know, Ray got the better of him um, psychologically um, leading up to the fight and in the fight. Yeah. And um, you know, that little move at the end by Marvin before the decision was just his way of saying, Hey, you know, it's, it's all good. I outboxed him, but um, you know, as the judges uh, decided, that wasn't the case. These are the best stories. This is why the four Kings will always be remembered forever because each guy is like their own King. Like each guy has their own style. Each guy has their own stories. They all fought each other spanning what nine, nine, ten years, you know, Hagler, Hearns, you know, Hearns versus Leonard, Leonard versus Hagler, Duran fighting all of them. I mean, we can go on and on and on with all these stories. And it's just like the golden era of boxing. I, that's why I think that when you th talk about Marvin Hagler, you have to bring up Tommy Hearns and you have to bring up uh, Ray Leonard. You have to bring up uh, Roberto Duran. It's just all part of their legacy. That's a beautiful thing. That's something that I know that a lot of boxing fans Today, want to see that happen with some of the young fighters today, and you'll see a lot of that this this past couple of weeks, in terms of you know using this um, you know Marvin's uh, death to kind of compare to today's boxing, which I don't exactly think is fair. Like I do want to see it get back to that, but you know it's it's a different time, a different place. Like you know even what Al was saying in the previously before you came on is that things were different back then in in every way possible. Like. The media and 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 players and boxers, the athletes, all mix together. They mix together a little more, and that shows that with that story, phenomenal story. But from there, that's when Hagler disappeared. That's when you didn't hear from him anymore. He moved to to Vegas and uh, not Vegas to Italy, and uh, you never heard from him, right? No, you basically did not hear from him. He showed up occasionally at the Boxing Hall of Fame. Uh, we saw him at one time at the. Um, in Connecticut at the Mystic Hilton yeah, from not, and there was no fight. It was just, I don't know what he was doing there, but he was getting ready to do road work. Remember he had a track suit on yes, and he got mobbed, but he was just doing, I don't know what he was doing uh, there, but I saw him one time at a fight. Um, I forgot what fight it was. And uh, we had known he was in Italy. So I said, Hey, I gave him a little business. Hey, Marvin, come on, start. And he goes, Hey, don't yank up my chain. So he was, <laughs> he had a little sense of humor, but he did say it in an Italian accent. He did pick up an Italian accent, as Michael Buffer mentioned too earlier mm -hmm. uh, on the show, that he um, he actually had an Italian accent mixed in with the, with, the, with the Massachusetts accent, which can be very unique in its own way. So, the, I mean, the combination of the two accents was like, okay, Marvin, this is Marvin Hagel speaking here, so we have to, you know, give him his props, but it's a... Uh, it's a, it's a strange accent coming out of his mouth. I mean, it's all part of the lore. It's all part of the legacy. It's one of the greatest boxing stories from like pretty much rags to riches, you know, a fight in his first fight was for what in a gym in Brockton for, or in a gym for 50 bucks. And then, you know, wasn't part of the Olympic team. Like Ray uh, worked his way up, you know, his first title fight getting pelted in the ring, you know, didn't get that chance to really earn it or really savor in it. All the way up to you know retiring to to Italy and becoming uh, you know doing movies and 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 now uh, the first one to go it's unbelievable. It's another thing too. He was such a loyal loyal person yep. too. I mean, Aaron tells the story. They went up to uh, up to New Hampshire to uh, try to sell him on the Leonard fight, 
and Petronelli brothers were in the, in the car with, with Aram and they got out of the car at Marvin's house. They told Aram, wait in the car, we'll go talk to Marvin. So they, they were on the porch and Aram could see them speaking from the car. They were on the porch and they see Marvin slamming his hand down. Like Aram sees that he's like, they go back to the car and Aram's like, oh, what happened? He wasn't happy with the guarantee. And Petronelli goes, no, he was mad because we offered to cut our share from 30% to 15. He was mad that we would do that. He insisted that, you know, we get our clean share regardless of the money. And Marvin was guaranteed 12 million in the Leonard fight. And I think he ended up making something like 18 million with the back end. So he was just a loyal guy on top of being, you know, a, a lunch pail kind of fighter. And, uh, you know, you're going to be sorely missed. It's still it's still a bit of a shock to think that you look at you think of Marvin, you think of this figure, this this perfectly tuned fighter. Um, he just looked the part and he acted the part. He fought the part, and you'd never think that you know he would go at a, a relatively young age. So um, you know it was it was quite shocking, but we're um, feel very fortunate to be able to see him fight, especially in in his prime and those, what do we mention? The three biggest fights um, in boxing, really. You have to say that Leonard Hearns, even even Mugabe, the people who watch that fight, it's going to be more yeah. more appreciated. And and the Leonard fight, which he came up a little short, but he easily could have got the decision in that fight. So, I mean, they were just three historical evenings, something that, you know, CompuBox will never forget and we're very fortunate to be, to be a part of. All right, Bob. I thank you for the time. Thanks for giving us these great stories about Marvis, marvelous Marvin Hagler. What a time. Uh, I'm lucky to hear the stories firsthand, and now everyone else can hear some of these great stories. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Dan. Take care. Thank you so much to everyone that joined us for this special remembrance episode of Marvelous Marvin Hagler. Yes, that is his legal name. He got it changed because he wanted to be known as Marvelous. And man, was he ever. Uh, one of the four kings is gone. It's a tough thing to swallow in the boxing world. Those four guys, I feel like, will live on forever, and they will. Uh, Marvin Hagler might be one of the most respected of the four kings because of how he went about his career and how he went about his life as evidenced by our amazing uh, cast of guests on this special edition. I appreciate it. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, Dan Cadubio signing off. We'll see you next time. Another edition of Inside Boxing Live. Oh,